but I, we're not in a race, right? And uh, But there's just a lot in there for us to just glean from what it is that God is really communicating um, to his church. Uh, I picked the book of Acts when we started um, just for that purpose, is to teach us what it means to be the church of God. And um, I love that the truth still remains that today in 2015... What it means to be the church and what it means to be in Christ, it means exactly the same thing it meant then. That nothing has changed. There's nothing at all that has been changed. Um, Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And the same Lord that we serve is is the same Lord that they served. And um, so I love that as as we go back and we look at this, there's plenty of application for us today. That this is not just some old-fashioned, antiquated thing, you know, that oftentimes they say, well, church is old-fashioned and that these, these traditions of the church are, are such that you can discard them now because we're new in this thing. No, we can't discard them because God has not changed. The only, people, the only thing that has changed is us, but God has not changed. God has been the same. Yes, and if you do need a Bible, thank you for it. Uh, uh, if you could raise your hand, somebody will get one of those into your hands that you can um, hang on to and keep if, if you don't have one. So let's read from um, Acts chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 32, and we'll go through verse 37 this morning, and then we will allow the scripture to take us on a journey, okay? Um, beginning verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the things that I want to um, look at this morning, I I, I titled this message, Welcome to the Family. And I think it's appropriate that after we um, had a baptism service last week, that that this um, is the next sort of step is, Welcome to the family of God. Welcome into the family of God. And it's an amazing family. The family of God is unlike uh, my family of origin in many, many ways. And as I look at the family of God and and what um, the family of God is supposed to look like is that we take care of one another. That the family of God provides for one another. The family of God not only provides you know, material stuff for one another, but we provide guidance. Um, We provide the truth to one another. Um, And sometimes maybe in our own families of origin, that is not the case. That we don't often provide truth to our family members. We don't often provide love to our family members. But the family of God is supposed to operate in a different way. And we can get our model to change our own families at home if we look at what God models for the family of God, what he, what he models for the church, what he teaches us about the church family, we could also take that and say, you know what? 
I can take this home with me and let me model my home after the family of God, right? And oftentimes what we want to do in churches, it seems these days, is that we want to take our broken family dynamic and bring it in and apply it to the church and say, well, this is the way the family operates in my uh, environment. And so you have to operate according to my family rules, right? It's not that way at all, because this was really the model for us to have taken home with us and to model our own families that way. So I say, welcome to the family of God. And some things I want to look at that we're going to see um, in the scripture this morning is that as a member of the family of God, we can see that God provides for his family. God provides for his family. And he provides by sovereign grace. And he, he provides for his family through the members of his family often. Then we can see here too, I started asking this question, well then who are the family members of God? It's a good question. God provides for his family by sovereign grace through the members of his family. It begs the question, then who are the members of God's family? And I had a simple answer as I looked at the scriptures this week. Those who trust, who have their trust rightly placed in Christ. That is who the family of God is. Those who have their trust rightly placed in Christ. So, how does God's family come to trust in him? We're going to see this in the scriptures today too. That God's family comes to trust in God in this way. That the trusters in God are Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Those, that is how we come to trust God. Um, absent of that, we don't trust him, do we? I can think of all kinds of things that I've placed my trust in instead of him. I've placed my trust in, in hard work, maybe. Place my trust in position that that hard work might attain for me. Uh, place my trust in finances. Even placing trust in my own family relationships first and primarily. And, and God says, no, that's not, that's not where your, your trust is a little misplaced. Those are good things. Those are all good things. He wouldn't say, rid yourself of those things. Those are all good things. But he says, if that is where your primary focus for your trust is, it's slightly misplaced. And it's easy for us to get there. But the only way I think for us, and what the scripture shows me, is that the only way to put our trust fully in God is that we need a Holy Spirit intervention. We need an intervention by the Holy Spirit of God that he might focus us on a resurrected Christ. Because when we focus on a resurrected Christ, guess what? The future is absolutely, completely true and taken care of. If we can focus on a resurrected Christ, we have no worries about tomorrow. Do we? No. Because tomorrow is taken care of. It's, it's apparent because the grave could not hold this Christ who paid our price for our sin. Right? So that then is how we come to trust. Now, these witnesses of the resurrection, we're going to see that they are bestowed great grace from God. And that often includes material provision. And what we'll see in the scripture this morning is that time and again, material provision of grace is distributed by God's family and for God's family. That God gives to God's family and God's family distributes that amongst its members together. Those who are trusters in Christ. And I think that this most clearly is a sovereign work of God 
That when we see the family of God taking care of each other in a way that is absolutely supernatural, when people give of themselves more than they have sometimes, when people give the very last thing that maybe they have and they see somebody else in a greater need than them and they give that up, right? That is a supernatural work of God's sovereign grace on that person's life. But but for the benefit of another family member of God, it's an amazing thing. I don't even know if I can even begin to wrap my head around how to explain that, um, that truth. Is I have watched, over the years, watched people just take care of one another. That a need arises and a brother or a sister is stirred inside them to take care of it. And it's not about the brother or sister who took care of it. It's about a God who is so gracious to all of us that he says, I see your need. I'm going to cause Anna Marie to give of herself so that you that need can be met. Right? That's God's sovereignty. That's God's grace. It's God stirring in us that does that. That's an amazing thing. And so we can't get too full of ourselves as we give to others, right? <laughs> we can't think that I'm such a great guy that God has worked this in me and I, I'm able to give now. No. God wanted that need met. God wanted that other person's need met. And he just happened to use you. An available vessel. A person who said, I am a witness of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has empowered me to hear and trust that if I give this up, if I give this up for that person, God is going to provide for me in the future. That is a Holy Spirit empowered person. Right? So there's no bragging. There's no holding on to uh, the greatness of who we are in that. Well, what I want to look at is a special working of God's sovereign work through the person of Joseph. So if you would, flip in your Bibles with me to Genesis 45. Because I think, of course, in the scripture that as we're looking at, at trying to find the truth, that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So as, we're, as, we're, as I was thinking this through this week, I'm like, what is the greatest picture of this of God's sovereign work, um, working it out for the benefit of God's family? And um, I came to this idea of Genesis 45. As we see, you might remember some of the story. Uh, Joseph was a little bit of a braggadocious fellow when he said, you know, I'm going to be all this, and you guys are going to bow down to me one day, and I'm going to be on top, and you guys are going to be on, you guys are just going to serve me, and that kind of stuff, right? And um, so, as any good family does, uh, the brothers say, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to bow down to you, little brother. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Who do you think you are? I'll tell you what, you're not so much. I'm going to get rid of you. So, they do. They get rid of him. They think they do. They think that they ultimately get rid of him. And then they find themselves in trouble. They find themselves in need. But these, who even though they commit this treacherous act against their brother, are members of the family of God. They are part of God's family. And God sees their need. And God knew the need was going to come. And he said, but my family takes care of my family. My family will take care of my family. And so what you think you're doing, you're not doing it at all. So let's look at Genesis 45. We begin in verse 4, and we'll go through about verse 11. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, 
And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Think about that. God sent me here before you to preserve life. That God sent me here ahead of time to preserve life. I couldn't help but think as I was looking at this scripture this week about where we are now as we are on the other side of the cross of Jesus Christ. That we're, we're on this other side and a lot of time has passed since Jesus laid his life down on the cross for us. And if you think you're in trouble or distressed or angry with yourself for the things that have separated you from God from, from this time forward, think back to this, that God sent Christ before you. God sent him ahead of you, that he might give you life, right? As I was thinking about that verse, I said, greater than Joseph, greater than Joseph was the Christ that he sent. And he sent him ahead for us, for such a time as right now. And there may be someone in here who's hearing this who's saying, you know, I'm a little bit bitter with myself. I'm a little bit angry. I'm a little bit down on myself. I'm a little bit distressed at the things that I've walked in or the, or the things that I've done or the, any of those things that, that make me feel a little distressed because I realize that what I've done is so egregious against my brothers or against my sisters or even against God. And Joseph here is saying this to his brothers. He's saying, you know, don't be so distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you that I might preserve your life. Right? And that same truth is for us in Christ. That don't be so distressed or angry that you think you can't come back to God because God sent him before you that he might give you life. He did this ahead of time with a plan for you, with a provision for you. That God was the provider of that. Amazing, amazing truth. And here's the thing is that as we look at that, this, this, there was a provision for sin. God provided for their sin. You notice that? This, this whole story seems to be a lot about material possessions. But it's also about God's provision for sin. That you sinned against God and you sinned against your brother Joseph and he paid a definite price, but it was all for you. That it was all for your benefit, right? And, and you, get, you get both. You get a provision for sin and guess what? I'm going to give you material blessing as well. Not because of what you've done, but because of what your brother did for you. Right? And God says the same thing to us about Christ. I'm going to give you this, but not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Don't be distressed or angry against yourself because Christ has paid it all. He has paid the price for you. I love that truth. And um, let's continue in, in this so we can see just a little bit more about um, how God provides for his family. Verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, 
so that you and your household and that all you have do not come to poverty. You see, this is huge, isn't it? Is that there's more to it than, than even that. There's so much in here in this story about God's provision. Because God says to, to his brothers, he says, you know what, Joseph paid a price for you. He paid a price for that sinful act that you did. And, and not only is Joseph the place where you're going to find um, restoration of your material goods, you're going to find the provision for sin, but also relationship is restored. Because he says, you're going to come and live near me. You're going to be near this Joseph. When we have a greater than Joseph in Christ, when, when, when we appropriate the fact that Christ paid the price for our sins, that Christ also wants to provide for us materially, for our basic needs, for our basic human needs. And then he says, but greater than that is this. You are going to be near me. You're going to be in relationship with me. You can live with me. I love that picture and that scripture because it really tells what is going on in Acts 4.32 through 37. So let's, let's look back again at this because I want to see just a couple of these things again and emphasize them. So in verse 32 it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Then verse 33, and I think this is the hinge. I've said this before, that um, as we've been studying through the book of Acts, I said it from chapter 1, I said it in chapter 2, I think I said it in chapter 3, I probably said it twice in chapter 4, and I'm going to say it again, that the hinge of what it means to be a Christian, to be in the family of God, the hinge of our life in Christ right now, uh, the hinge of what makes Christianity different than any other faith in the world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then when we look at these five verses, you can see that there's a lot about God's provision before and after verse 33. But verse 33 is a hinge upon these five verses as well. That what happens before it hinges on this verse, and what happens after it hinges on that verse. So I want to uh, pay a little bit of attention to verse 33. And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. See, this is the hinge of the Christian life. And this hinge, this hinge is for our unity. Notice in verse 32 that from 33, this hinge of giving the testimony, their personal testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, caused them to have one heart and one soul. They were at one. So the hinge of our faith, the hinge of the resurrection, is that it would draw us into unity one with another, as it did with them. And this hinge is also, the resurrection is the hinge of God's gracious provision for us, right? You see that these who believed, the word there really actually means in the Greek, trusted. Now the full number of those who trusted they could give up their stuff. They could give up their stuff because they trusted. You can believe in something, but not trust it, can't you? You can believe in a lot of things and just not really trust them. But, but this word here is about they trusted God. 
the full number who trusted God, they were of one heart and one soul. And they had decided that none of the things that they thought belonged to them actually belonged to them. That they belonged to everyone. Because there was God's gracious giftings, everything we have. They took a look at their life and said, this is what I have. And all of this is God's gracious gift to me. How could I dare hold that up and put it in a locker and put a lock on it and not share it with others? It's God's gracious provision. And they said that none of these things, they don't belong to me. They belong to everyone because they are of the family of God as well. They have put their trust in who God is. And I have put my trust in who God is, which means this, that God is not a God of of scarcity, right? God is a God of plenty. So if God is a, is a God of plenty and not a God of scarcity, why would I be fearful to give up my things? Why would I give up? Why would I be fearful to say that what's mine is also yours? Because I trust that God has all things and that God bestowed these great gifts upon me already. Will he not? Will he act outside of his character tomorrow and not give me those things again? He won't because I trust him. I trust that God is who God says he is. And that, that brings us this unity. That brings us um, something even greater too in verse 33 is power. It gives us power. Notice here he says that, that great power was upon the apostles. They got to give him great power and authority. All about trust. All about surrender and trust. My friend this morning on my way in, as I was picking him up and they were driving in, he said, he gave me a quote from, uh, from the guy that started the Salvation Army and said something about what is man's greatest ability is the measure of his ability to surrender, right? That is his greatest ability. The level at which he would surrender is a person's greatest ability. And when we do surrender all, guess what? The power of Christ, the power of the resurrected Christ living in us, that gives us power. And then God bestows this other provision is great grace upon us all. And great grace upon our neighbors and our friends and all of that. And see, their hope was in this. They had hope. That's another thing. They had hope. Um, an assured hope. Um, not Not a flimsy sort of hope, but an assured hope. You might you might recall um, if any of you have been here on Wednesday night and Doug has been teaching through Revelation and there's a, there's a hinge in that particular book as well. And everything in that book hinges on this. <clears throat> overcoming. Right? We have an overcoming Savior. As, we're, as we see in that verse, is that they were giving their testimony to the overcoming Jesus, the one who overcame sin and death, that overcoming Savior, right? And because they put their trust in them, then guess who becomes an overcomer? The one who puts their trust in God becomes an overcomer. And if you think about this in Revelation 12, 11, it and, and thinking about the devil and his enemy and all the things that he comes against us with, it says, it asks this question basically, who is able to overcome? It is, he that overcomes is the one 
that overcomes by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Right? And this same thing is going on here. This same thing is going on in verse 33. Is with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were overcomers. Right? And then all who had put their trust in God become overcomers. Would you like to overcome today? I ask that question of all of us in this room. Would you like to be an overcomer? Well, I think all of us would. And we make these great efforts to overcome our sin. We make great efforts to overcome maybe even our old past family dynamics and that kind of stuff. We, we maybe try to overcome financial hardship through hard work, through effort, through changing all of these things. But God says this, he who overcomes trusts in the Lord, in the blood of the Lamb. That's he who overcomes, who puts their trust fully in who God is for them. And we can trust God. You know how we can trust God? We can trust God because the Holy Spirit reveals to us that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is real, that our God is alive. That's how we know that we are overcomers. Do you in here today believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? That Jesus Christ is in heaven sitting at the right hand of God? If you believe that today, then guess what? You are an overcomer. Only because, not because you're great, not because you've figured it all out, but because you have an overcoming Savior. You can trust that. You can trust that. And then when you trust that, then guess what? All the blessings that God has given you, you can say this. Well, God gave me all of these blessings. I am sure that God's grace to me in the past is, as, is going to be as evident tomorrow as it was today. I can trust that. So I can, I can let go of things. I cannot have such a tight grip on my stuff. I can have not such a tight grip as Caleb was saying this morning. I have not such a tight grip on my time. Right? My TV show can wait. I don't need to sit and watch this TV show because God has given me time. I have eternity because I believe and trust in the resurrected Christ. I have eternity to do these things, to have pleasure and to have fun. I have eternity for that. I have eternity to enjoy that. But God has called me today to put my trust in him and to serve him and to help provide for his people because God uses people to provide for his people. So, all of that to say, let's move on to verse 34. <laughs> um, so, in verse 34 it says that there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands um, or houses, they sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold. Well, I want to look uh, at something in verse 34 really quick, because, you see, God's um, sovereign plan of provision has always been that. It's always been the same. And notice here that it says that there was not a needy person among them. And I think there's a, there's, a, there's a truth in there that we ought to maybe take a hold of. That a brother or a sister in need should not be named amongst the body. It really should never be named amongst us together. It shouldn't be so named that they could say, you know, if there's a needy brother in your body or a needy family or a needy sister and you've ignored them. They're still in need. The family of God has not taken care of them. And a part of that is, is really not our fault. We've been conditioned 
we've been conditioned to say, well, the government has a program for that. Right? We've been conditioned to say, we don't need to trust God. The government will, they got a program to help take care of people who have these issues. I can ignore them. We often do that as a church, but I think it should not be named among us. And God had a great welfare system, always. He had a great system for taking care of his people. It's, it's been the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it ought to be the same in our church today. It ought to be the same in our church family. Let's look um, at Deuteronomy 15. So if you get there, we will uh, begin reading in verse 4. And here, God makes a declaration to the people. And again, it's about a heart. It's about a heart issue. So he says here in Deuteronomy 15, verse 4, But there will be no, no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command to you today. Verse 6, For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall not rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, In the seventh year, the year of release, it's near, and your eye look grudgingly on your brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not grudge him when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. You see here that in this text of scripture that God says, bank on my promises for you. Bank on that. He's telling them, bank on, your prom on my promises for you, and there should not be poor named among you. Because I will provide for you. Have I not provided for you before? I have. I will continue to provide for you, but you must obey this. You must obey this, that there should not be one in need, and you have means to take care of them. Take care of them. And don't take care of them with a heart that says, oh, I have to do this because this is a command of God. He says, no, take care of them knowing that God is the provider, that God is going to continue to provide. Even those means that as we receive them from another brother and sister, sometimes that's even harder. I know... In my case, I've had people give to me personally in times of need, and I hate it. It's really, really super hard to take. And um, my pastor at the coast uh, told me when uh, our house burned and they came like immediately and they handed us this pile of cash to sort of take care of our immediate needs, I was like, I can't take that. And he says, you're refusing a gift from God? But in my heart, in my mind, all I can think of is the people who gave it. The people who gave it. They can't give it. They can't afford it. God is the provider of all things. You cannot refuse a gift from God. You must take it. Right? That's a hard, it's a hard thing sometimes to do that. But 
I think of those things. And so God has a sovereign plan, a provision for us. And that amongst our family, our family is responsible. You know, think about that. Our family is responsible for each other. We are responsible for each other. And this responsibility should come out of a trust in God, a trust in his provision for us. If we trust God, if we trust God, guess what? That responsibility that we have for our brothers or our sisters is not a burden. It's not a burden to us. We trust God. And God has plenty. God has plenty to give us. So I think about another thing that in society that we kind of do is we discard like our elderly family members sometimes. That <coughs> that uh, it used to be that in the family of God, the family of God took care of their family. And that our immediate families took care of our grandparents. And we kept them in our homes and we provided for them. Right? But now... We've gotten to the point where we say, well, I trust in my riches much more than I trust in God's provision for me. And that if I put myself out for my family member here, my lifestyle is going to suffer. I think God says, test me on this. You take care of those in need, and I will provide for you, as I always have. Right? But we've wanted to shift it off to somebody else instead of saying, I'm responsible. I'm responsible for what God has given me. And, and I, do I trust God enough to know that God will give me what God says he's going to? That's the key question. <clears throat> so, verse 35. As they had sold these things, right? Um, they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to any as had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas... Uh, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice this, that these things that are being brought and being brought to the apostles, the apostles then distribute them. It, there's, there's this idea of distribution, and I want us to think about this. I want us to think about what it is that we give when we give to others. Um, Sometimes when we, when we give to others, we think, oh, I've made such a sacrifice to give to this person. I've made, I've made such a sacrifice in my time. I've made such a sacrifice in my money and all of this. Well, notice this, that what they gave was not their own to give. Notice this, the apostles gave what somebody else gave to them, right? So it was stirred by God's grace and God's um, infinite wisdom and provision to stir in somebody's heart to give as they sold their house or they sold whatever because they saw that somebody had need and they thought, you know what, I have some excess here. I could sell this house off and I can help. They didn't give it directly to the person that they were helping. They gave it to the apostles and the apostles then distributed it. I think it's to model for us that what we give is really a distribution. It, it's not coming out of our pocket. Even you might think of it as it is, as you write a check, maybe for something, and say that's out of my pocket, that's out of my account. You're distributing something. You're just a distributor. You're just kind of the middleman in the whole thing. You're the middleman when you're giving to someone else, because where did that come from? You're the distributor of God's wealth. God's the one that possesses all things. God has wealth. And you're just a distributor. You're making a distribution. And there's a clear picture of this um, distribution of grace as well and distribution of provision. 
Let's look at Mark uh, chapter 6. That's in the, in, the, in the Bible, right? I lost my place, so it's like, how did I get in the Old Testament when I went to turn to Mark? Somehow I got there. But um, let's look at Mark chapter 6 um, and verse uh, 34, and we'll read through verse 44. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. I love Christ's response. They see a need, right? These folks need something to eat. Feed them. It's your job. Take care of them. They're part of your family. You take care of them. You give them something to eat. They said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. See, think about this. He says, You don't have to go out and have an extravagant amount of things. Give what you have. What do you have? Give it. And trust the Lord for the increase is the idea, right? Give what you have. And trust that God will increase that immeasurably. So you can't think that my gift is too small. My talents are too small. My, my time is too limited. Give what you have. Give what you have. And watch God increase that. Because everything counts. Everything counts. That's basically what he's telling these guys. Everything counts. And I can do more with your little bit than you can do with a lot. Right? You can have an abundance of things and try to give it all away. But I can do more with your very little bit than you can do on your own with all of this great amount of stuff. Right? <clears throat> so, uh, let's continue here. Um, then he commanded them all to sit down in, in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets of broken pieces of, and, and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. See, notice this. That Jesus himself, these guys bring to him the loaves. They bring to him the fish. And he looks up to heaven. He looks to his father. And he says, all of this is from you, God. All of this is from you. I take what you give me and I will distribute it to your people. And that's really what we are as givers. That's really what we are as givers. If we are modeling our life after Christ, we look to heaven, we look to God, and we say, God, all that you've given me, I, I, I take a look at all that you have given me. Bless this, Father. Bless this. And maybe I only have a little bit. Maybe I only have a dollar. I'll give 50 cents. I give that 50 cents and then I trust you. I trust you because you have more. You have much more. And you have many more people. You have many more people to contribute to this. And so my little bit counts. My little bit counts because you can expand that. You can multiply that in a way that I cannot. My very little is great in the hands of God, right? 
nor very little, is great in the hands of a mighty God. I love that truth. I really do. I love that. That God says, you give me a little bit. Give me a little bit of yourself. Give me a little bit of your time. Give me what you have. Just give what you have, and I'll blow it up. I'll, I'll make it great. And then, guess who we get to glorify? We get to glorify God. We glorify God. So, as you see this, I see this, that the distributor, the distributor like Barnabas, was an, the son of encouragement, they called him. An encourager. One who encourages the brother and sister and says, you know what? My God is abundant. I have a little bit. I know this doesn't probably cover your need, but I'm going to help you here. And I'm trusting in God. Would you trust in him? Would you trust in him to give more? Because God has plenty. Trust in him. Right? Well, the distributor then is really called to be a good steward, isn't he? The distributor of God's good gifts is supposed to be a good steward of what God has given him. God gives us so much. And he says, steward that well. You know, I think about the, um, the parable of the talents, right? And sort of in just an overview, and then we'll close, is that this man, he goes on a journey, and he entrusts his property to his servants when he leaves. Christ, this resurrected Jesus, has gone on a journey, and he's entrusted us, his servants, with his property, with his blessings. He's trusted us with those. And he says... I'll give each one of you a measure of this property based on your ability, based on your ability to steward it. Whatever it is that I give you, it's based on your ability to steward that. And then the expectation then becomes is that each one would use what was given to produce something beneficial to the owner of the property. It's not that our giving is necessarily, it is beneficial to the one we give to, but it's ultimately for the one who gave the gift to us in the first place, right? He says, produce something beneficial to me. Take this little bit, give it to this person, this member of the family of God, because this should produce something for my glory. That's the point, for the glory of Christ. So that when he comes back, when he comes back and he looks down upon us and he says, you know, I have ascended to heaven, I have entrusted you all with much, and I've asked that you produce something which glorifies God here on earth. And that when I return, or when I call you home, I can look in your face and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That is the call of God. That is the word of God today. Let's pray. Lord Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, I thank you for each one here. And I thank you for your provision for us. That um, I thank you that you just do not run out. That... that you don't run out of supply, um, and we can trust in you. And we can trust that if we keep our eyes focused on the fact that our resurrected Jesus has overcome the world, and we put our trust in you, that you too are making us overcomers, that we are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are overcoming sin and death just as you already have. So we give you thanks for that. And with that, Lord, please be with us. For the rest of this time as we worship you, may you be brought great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.